first rule in grip sport is you tell everyone about grip sport. You know, crushing, pinch grip, thick bar, wrists. If the best guy in the world can't lift 100 pounds on it, I, I don't give a shit about it. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of The Grip Show. Um, I think I have a pretty highly anticipated guest here with me today. Um, I'm just going to personally lead in by saying that throughout grip sport, arm lifting, whatever, you know, every now and then you have these people that come along that, I don't know, they just like naturally are super strong or they're just kind of like phenoms out the gate. Um, And uh, there's been several instances of that, but my personal opinion, I don't know if there's been anybody that has progressed or kind of came out the gate as quickly as the person I'm about to interview. And uh, just from the level of feats, the competition stuff, um, definitely just, like I said, a, a kind of a special guest that I think a lot of people have been wanting to hear from. And a lot of people are looking forward to hearing this one. So Ben Helms, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Zach. Yeah, man, uh, no problem. So real quick, just want to dive in and uh, just kind of cover everything. So you're born, you live in Vinton, Virginia, which is like right by Roanoke. Were you also born there? Yeah, I was born uh, in Salem, actually, but it's... Okay, right there. Okay, and just so everybody... This is just like bonus info, I guess, just extra details. But you're currently 28 years old. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So for everybody that's seeing Ben clean things and uh, like cleaning the inch bell or doing these crazy feats or competing, and maybe they think like, oh, this dude's like 35 or something. Ben's still in his 20s. So like he's only been doing grip about a year, and Ben is still in his late 20s. So we all know that grip can progress very late in life. So if you already see what Ben's probably doing right now, before he's even turned 30, you can probably only imagine maybe what the potential feats would look like. Um, I won't go too much. We'll get into your potential feats that you're working on, but, uh, but yeah, just, I think that might catch some people off guard that you're only 28. So I felt like it was worth mentioning. Um, so real quick, tell me kind of how, how did you get started with strength training um, in general? Like, what is your just basic general background? All right. So I didn't start weight training until I was a freshman in high school. I had uh, a teacher of mine who was my wrestling coach as well. And we had a really good relationship. And he thought uh, I should start weight training. He thought I would do pretty well. At it. He thought I had a, he, he would say, I'd have a good bone structure, putting on muscle. So I took his advice and the first exercises I started doing were kettlebells and stuff like that. Cause that's mainly what the you know, type of weightlifting wrestlers were doing was kettlebells and body weight stuff. But then he got me into the gym and I started bench pressing and I fell in love with that bench pressing. It, it kind of just took off. It kind of just, I was one of those typical you know, high school kids that didn't want to train legs, didn't want to do anything else, and just wanted to get his bench up, right? So yeah, started out where, you know, 135 was my max, and that felt super hard. My wrestling coach, he's this 
five foot seven, 130 pound guy benching two plates on each side like it's nothing. So I was like, holy shit, you know, this guy, half my size, is twice as strong as me. So it, it really motivated me to get into weight training. And then uh, eventually, that same year, um, I ended up bench pressing 500 pounds. It went from, you know, 135, 500 pounds, and my body weight was still around 170, 180 pounds when I did that. So that's when it's taken off. <laughs> that's, uh, okay. it's almost unbelievable. You know what I mean? Like when you first hear it, it's like, shit, I don't, there's no way. I don't believe that. Like, you know what I mean? That's, that's like the, uh, probably a lot of people's initial reaction. But at the same time, it's like, um, man, those, uh, those people are out there. You know what I mean? Is it rare? Yeah. But as we've seen through kind of your entry into grip sport, you know what I mean? You went from not knowing what grip sport was or, you know what I mean? Not competing in anything, arm lifting or grip sport. And, you know, everybody in the grip world's, you know, kind of seeing what most guys are lifting, what most new people do. And then it's like, oh, here's this guy that, you know what I mean? You, you were there the whole time. You just hadn't found out about grip yet. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. so it's, it's kind of hard to believe that somebody could have that kind of like fast progress. But then when you like see it develop live and kind of unfold in person, like in your own sport, then you're also like, oh, okay. Yeah. Like it, it's not just a grip thing. Like you were doing it with bench press and other lifts as well, or you, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? You pretty much took to those things quickly. So maybe there is like a, genetic or you know what i mean maybe maybe there is something there that you're more inclined to be stronger bigger bone structure whatever the case may be you know what i mean i definitely think genetics has a lot to do with it because my dad was always extremely fit and stronger yeah. than you know your average guy you know i was telling you about when he was in the military all the pull-up records he'd set and all that stuff he's always been a super strong guy so i think I got some of his genetics on the uh, strength, so yeah. bless with that. Okay, um, and uh, moving on. So you pretty much, uh, I was the same way. Try to bench press like three times a week, max out every time. <laughs> like shoulders feel like shit. You know what I mean? Like you, you're just—it's a miracle I can scratch my forehead because I max all. <laughs> yeah, but that, I think a lot of. Uh, a lot of us lifters, young kids, whatever at the time, you, you fall victim to that. You know what I mean? And it's, it's real easy to kind of get into. Um, at what point did you start to maybe realize that that wasn't the smartest way? Or when did you kind of mature as a lifter and start to uh, get into other lifting or understand like the importance of lower body, full body strength training? If that makes um, sense. To be honest, it, just socializing with people um you know the the bro atmosphere in the gym like when you go to our, you know regular commercial gym you, they always want to troll small calves or the chicken legs right so it wasn't really me learning you know what what's best for your body or the healthiest yeah. to be well-rounded it was more of an insecurity i was like damn i don't, I don't want to be this you know, top heavy guy with chicken legs. So I started training legs. And a yield I, sign. You don't uh, want to be. A, you don't want to be a yield sign. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. So <laughs> I, I hated training legs. I still hate training legs. But 
I don't want to be the chicken leg guy. So that, yeah. that's I started doing that. And then um, I guess the, when I got to my senior year of high school was when I really started balancing everything out and really started falling in love with just fitness in general instead of just well, I want a bench press to have a big bench or, you know, stuff like that. I started targeting other things. And then that's when I decided to make my major in college kinesiology. So I wanted to study how the body moves and, you know, what's the most uh, beneficial way and most effective way to target certain muscle groups and, you know, what angles like in a bench press, I didn't know this in high school until college, bending the bar. So when you have tricep activation, if you try and bend the bar, your elbows come inwards. So you're activating more muscle groups. Stuff like that just really got me excited. So that's when I majored in that. And that's when all my numbers started shooting up. And in college, my junior year of college was when I think I got my first six plate deadlift. And okay. then from on, it just everything else I start analyzing everything and that's when my numbers started coming up and it translated well in the grip okay and now you're saying you went to college um you know studying kinesiology and everything like that when mm -hmm. you were exiting high school and kind of venturing into college what was your body weight around that time so I actually took a break um right after I graduated I went through some phase of you know, being a vegetarian and <laughs> really stopped weightlifting all together for a little bit. I, I had this love for backpacking and being out in nature and I did a lot of that stuff and I uh, didn't touch any weights till I don't know, probably the second semester of my uh, freshman year at college. But I was, when I started weightlifting again, I was probably 180, 185 pounds. Okay. And within, by the time I was done with college, I was almost 300 pounds. And that's when I got my home gym here. I bought a house here in Benton and just dumped in a ton of money to get a, you know, decked out home gym. And that's when I ended up topping out around 308 pounds. And that's when all my numbers were really starting to shoot up there. So I put on a massive amount of weight short period of time with that okay what what would you say was probably the uh biggest contributing factor to you you kind of packing on that amount of weight um i know Big you mentioned factor um yeah basically adding that 120 pounds and being about 300 pounds from being you know your typical 180 pound frame or whatever you entered with mm -hmm. I, I know you kind of credited uh like finding out about like stand efforting and like power building and stuff like that and that probably contributed, but is it like, what else contributed to um, you basically going from like being 180, 190 pounds. And then like, next thing you know, you're, you're 300. Well, the biggest thing was SARMs, you know? Okay. <laughs> yeah. I love talking about that. I'd love to put this on the podcast for you if you're cool with that. No, hundred percent. Um, yeah. I think that uh, any, any form of truth, honesty, or like transparency, I think just being more yeah. like raw and unfiltered is better. I just think that, uh, too many people steer away from stuff. So for sure. Yeah. Tell say whatever you want to say, man. So when I really wanted to start packing on weight, of course, you know, you're eating more, you're training heavy. Um, I started taking SARMs and SARMs are a selective androgen receptor modulators. So okay. 
the stuff that I was taking would, uh, it was called MK677 and it was a butamorin. What it did was it would stimulate your pituitary gland to secrete more growth hormone. So when I started taking that, it really um, made my appetite increase and I was eating all the time and it made my sleep super, super deep. So I was getting really good sleep, which is the most important part for, you know, gaining muscle, getting stronger. And that on top of that with eating and all that, it just, uh, it made my recovery time cutting like twice as fast. So I did those SARS for maybe two or three semesters when I was in college. And then after that, I stopped taking them. I didn't feel like I needed it anymore. I reached a body weight that I wanted to go to. And then I just continued training in there. And that's when I mentioned, when you mentioned Stan Efferding, he was doing bodybuilding and powerlifting. And he mixed it together to form power building. Okay. When I got into power building, mixing accessory lifts into powerlifting exercises. So um, I really valued cable machines to, you know, finish off my workouts when I was doing bench, deadlift, or squat. And it was a pretty good combo for putting on muscle and adding strength at the same time. So that's what I did mostly, pretty much my entire time weight training was that. And then it eventually turned into strongman training when I had the home gym. Okay. And uh, so pretty much with that era of you adding weight, you pretty much had like almost like overeating or like extreme appetite combined with the perfect, like deep sleep, but also mixed with the like thirst for knowledge, the kinesiology movement body, basically studying everything you possibly could and then putting the work on top of it. And that all kind of made a perfect, I guess like the stars all aligned. And then that's where your biggest body weight and a lot of your biggest lifts came from. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, so since we're kind of at that point, um, just want to mention a few of, uh, a few of your lifts just for, you know, people listening in or watching whatever the case. So, uh, 595 bench. Do you remember about what body weight you were when you did that? So I was about 280, 285 when I did that, but my- this is raw, completely raw, right? Yeah. And it was on an axle. It, I didn't use a barbell. It was on an axle bar. Okay, so a lot of pressing with axle. Yeah. Um, so 595 bench on an axle bar. Um, and all these lifts, too, are, you know, garage gym lifts. It's yeah. It's not I, stuff, so. Yeah, that, I, I, yeah. like when I'm listing Ben's um, uh, biggest lifts here during this era, uh, mm-hmm. this isn't like it was in a competition somewhere or sanctioned. These are just his lifetime PRs in general. These are training lifts. Um, so a 595 bench an 820 pound deadlift 675 squat so Mm -hmm. pretty uh to me at least i'd say to most people uh pretty insane numbers um now obviously maybe if you get into like the elite of the elite in powerlifting it might be like oh yeah those numbers are kind of normal but pretty much to nobody else are those numbers really normal numbers you know what i mean it's a pretty uh Pretty serious amount. Now, out of those three lifts, your 595 bench, 820 deadlift, and a 675 squat, 
which one do you probably value the most or which one did you enjoy the most? Hmm. Well, you know, I'd, I'd probably just stick with bench because that's it all started, you know. <laughs> yeah. I'm most proud of the bench, but the deadlift too, I don't know, it, it's pretty close. Uh, I'm not going to say squat at all because, you know, I hate doing legs, but yeah. the squat just came around because I thought, you know, if I'm going to be strong up top, I got to, you know, get the legs strong too. That 675 squat or 765 squat was probably the most uncomfortable brutal thing I've done ever in any workout I've hated training legs and the way I would train to get a heavy squat was 20 rep sets so that's like doing 40 yard dashes over and over and over the, the amount of endurance you need to do 20 rep sets sucked like I'd be drenched in sweat every time so I think the one I value the most is bench but the one I'd be most proud of is the squat even though it's my least favorite yeah just because of probably uh like you said being the least favorite and being the one that you probably had to uh you're probably the least motivated to do it and it probably oh. it's you know harder it's harder to push yourself at something like that I'm, I'm kind of very similar um i dude i fucking hate squatting um i i don't know why you know what i mean i naturally kind of gravitated towards bench and dead early on mm -hmm. so I, I didn't really you know mind hey you know I, my form was terrible and I got some injuries because of it early on just being a dumbass kid lifting you know with poor form but uh I, I never had an issue pulling like a deadlift or bench press but squatting just always felt like almost the like most unnatural most annoying like I don't and I don't want to be that guy that's like complaining, like, oh, my body leverages are just not meant for squatting or it's just terrible. But it just, I never felt powerful in the squat position. I never felt like I could find a good position. And I'm sure there is one, you know, you know what I mean? I, it's like, you can't be that person that's just like, ah, there's, there's just no way I can squat. Like, no, there's a way if you want to spend enough time and figure it out. But I'm just saying, as far as everything else, deadlift and bench came pretty natural, but I, I kind of share your same hate for squat or i can kind of relate to it um i it's there are a lot of people yeah i i just i don't know what it is man i just i never it never felt right to me it still most days does not feel right to me and i still don't squat very often so i might mix it in as like an accessory maybe and do a different variation of squatting but to just put a straight bar on my back and barbell squat these days uh god hardly ever I haven't done a barbell squat in over a year now. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I, just, I just don't do it anymore. It ain't worth it to me. I don't like it. Yeah. Um, so leading in from, uh, I guess we're going to kind of fast forward just a little bit from uh, packing on the weight, hitting these big lifts in college. Um, you kind of transition into more strongman style training. Once you get your own home gym, your own setup, which is Peak Street Barbell, right? Mm-hmm. And how'd you come up with that name? So that is the name of the street that I live on. And I wanted initially to train some people in this gym. Um, I did that for a very short period of time. And it just, I ended up, you know, getting a job as a beer man. And the hours were just so inconsistent or way too long that I just didn't have time for it anymore. So 
I just kept calling it Peachtree Barbell. You know, that's, that's my home gym. That's the name of the street I live on, and that, that's where it came from. Okay. So you got Peak Street Barbell rolling. You're doing – you're training a few people here and there, but you're, you're lifting. You're doing more strongman stuff. Mm-hmm. There might be a couple years here that we're maybe kind of glancing over. Um, but now we're going to start to kind of drift towards um, how you found out about grip. What kind of led to your this, you know, super strong powerlifting lifts, um, big strongman lifts. But now, how do how does that like? What's your intro into grip exactly? So eventually, this is when I did the the weight loss journey. Um, I wanted to cut weight, uh, get really cut up, and so I didn't have a passion for super heavy lifting anymore i was more focused on just physique and i wanted to sell a bunch of the stuff i wouldn't use anymore that that's my biggest issue i've always had is buy sell trade with gym equipment but started selling all my stuff and um dylan Holmat um was the guy that introduced me into grip so he wanted to buy a circus dumbbell that i was selling and he started talking to me about uh, grip comps. I don't know how the topic of grip came up, but uh, he said, "Oh, you know, if you ever heard of arm lifting USA, you should, you know, get into this and compete. I think you do well." I was like, "Oh, why not? I'll give it a try. That sounds fun." And that's when I got hooked, and you know, never turned back. It, it was super fun. It's where I met you, and yeah, that's where we first met. Yeah, you introduced me to blobs and inch bells and it's just been taken off ever since. Yeah. Now you, yeah, as I say, yeah, the inch bells and blobs. And then it's like, now you kind of ended up like me where like, we haven't necessarily been doing grip a really long time, but the obsession and the collection we have makes it look like a 20 year, like it looks like we've been doing grip for 20 years because like we have so much stuff, but it's because we just like got obsessed with like the inch bells, blobs and just hunting them down. And it's your statement, man. It's, it's an <laughs> so, um, I remember the competition because it was a super series event mm-hmm. and, um, I remember you had briefly reached out to me and messaged me. So this would have been like an Instagram thing maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, and we had slightly talked and, uh, like I said, you know, I, I just see some stranger messaging me, you know, I don't, I don't know who you are. You, you know, I have, I have no idea that you're going to be good at grip or even interested in it. I, some dude's just asking me about a grip competition, you know, so um we ended up kind of meeting there and that was when I first realized that like watching you lift with basically no training and not even really knowing the rule set or knowing what the implements even were and I'm like at the time I felt like I was pretty strong I'm obviously stronger now but then I mean I felt like oh yeah you know I've been kind of hammering at this for a year or so I've pulled some okay lifts um and to where like, if you go to like your local comp, you're probably going to, I'm mostly going to be one of the stronger people at a local comp, even with just that year of training. And I remember um, seeing you there lifting for the first time. And I was kind of like, man, I'm not going to try to like brag on myself and say, I got a good eye for talent or, you know what I mean? But when you spent like 80% of your life in the gym playing sports, you can kind of see when someone's athletic, you can see when someone's strong, you can just see the way they, they move, they carry themselves, you know what I mean? So I've been in athletics and sports my entire life. So I just remember watching you. And I remember thinking like, you know, 
goddamn, like this is this dude's first time even like touching this stuff. And like, you were like probably murdering me by like 10 or 20 pounds on every handle, every lift. And I'm like, this dude ain't even like started yet. You know what I mean? Like that's, that's like the baseline. So I could tell right away that you had huge potential. And uh, yeah, I had brought the inch dumbbell there. Uh, Thomas inch dumbbell. I had brought it um, just for people to try, you know, it's a grip thing. And uh, I remember seeing you pick that up the first time you tried it. Do you remember that at all? Yeah. And it haunts me that I didn't get it on film. Cause I, you know, I, want, I wanted to be able to share that. That was pretty cool. But yeah, I, I lifted it the first try, but then once the phone was whipped out, it was glued to the floor. Couldn't move it. So, yeah. So like, if, it, if it isn't filmed, it didn't happen. Right. No, exactly. but, uh, but yeah, so you, but you know, you, you, you flung it up and actually I remember you making the statement um, after lifting it, you were like, I'm going to try to clean this thing. And you you said that like, like almost like right after you took your couple of attempts, like it flew up the first time and you're like, I'm going to try to clean it. So I, I just find it funny that, and, and we'll catch up to where we're at now. I don't want to fast forward too much, but it's funny to me that the first time you touched it, lifted it within like five minutes, you were already thinking clean and talking about clean. What, what kind of sparked that or what, I mean, cause did you even know that cleaning the inch dumbbell was a thing? Were you aware of that? Or was that just something like inside you, like an instinct where you're like, I lifted it. I'm just going to clean it now. I've known about Thomas Inch and then Mark Henry when he did his stuff. Okay. Well, I had no idea that inch bells were made for people, you know, to have. I thought it was just like that inch dumbbell that Mark Henry used was the inch dumbbell. That's what I thought. Okay. So when I saw that you had one, I was like, whoa, these things are, you know, they're made for people. You can, I could get a hold of one of these. And uh, that that excited me, and I was like, "Well, if I, if I can pick it up like this first try, I think if I study it enough, I'll be able to clean it eventually." And yeah, and you've you've done that probably more than anybody um, at this point. Yeah, I, I, like I said, I, I don't want to don't want to jump too far ahead on the inch clean, but we're we're we're, we're going to definitely attack that because that's something that I think a lot of people have been uh, uh, kind of buzzing about is you know man uh it's, it's it's just not every day you see somebody clean the inch dumbbell and you definitely don't see them hitting it for volume and making it a you know repetitive thing um which you have done so we'll get into that so that was kind of like your first competition now you get your hands on the inch bell you do this competition there's a stage two to that event where we have to lift again so we probably didn't talk as much that first event we probably talked a little bit more of the second event, you know I mean? First time's kind of like icebreaker, you know, you're getting to know somebody second event. We're chatting up a little bit more. And this time, instead of me bringing the inch bell for people to try, I brought blobs. Yeah. So can you kind of run me through what was going through your mind um, with the blobs, you know, as a, a feat of strength to try when I brought those there? So you, you actually gave me the rundown with uh, all the history of the blobs and, you know, how challenging they are and, you know, you let me try them out. And I think it was the first one I lifted was the 90. Uh, yeah, half 90. Yeah. And I thought, oh, that didn't seem too bad. And then you started telling me about all the tricks that people do with them, like curls and cleans and all that stuff. And once I was able to pick up, I don't know what, 
was the 90 the heaviest one I lifted or was no you no you you, you lifted um you lifted the a half 100 next gen so you lifted the 50 pound blob your okay. first time but it was the fat man blob that stumped you you would get it like 80 percent of the way up and just couldn't lock it out mm-hmm. so like that fat man that fat man blob kind of haunted you for a bit because you just couldn't land it but this also i just want to i have to throw this in here for people um i had brought these blobs here just for people to try like after the event on the side oh ben ben gets so hooked on lifting this fat man blob that he's trying to lift it mid competition. Yeah, and it screwed me on the hub. Yeah, so there was a hub lifting event, um, and Ben is over here in between warmups trying to do feats or lifting the fat man blob. It's the first time he's ever touched one. He keeps pulling it like 70, 80% lockout, can't, can't finish the deal. And then he's having to jump in and try to hit his actual like competition lifts on the hub. And the dude was lifting like, you were probably lifting like 80 plus pounds on the hub, right? In training. Yeah. And yeah. then back to the pool above 80 pounds that day. Yeah. So he's over here going like ape shit on these blobs, trying to get this fat man blob to land and just get that feet done. And I don't remember what the weight is. We could probably go and look it up. It was 65 pounds, I'm pretty sure. 65. So and somebody, that, yeah, it was 65 pounds and basically Ben fried himself out trying to lift blobs mid-competition. And I don't want to say you bombed because you got a number on the board, but you lifted a lot less than you thought because you were over here getting obsessed with these blobs that had actually like knocked about 15 or 20 pounds off of your hub lift. So hey, I think it primed me up though for the Saxon, to be honest. <laughs> yeah. That was when once I lifted the next and I was like, hmm, I'm going to try and curl this thing. And that's when I got the successful curl, and I was like, damn, that was cool. You got me all hooked on the blobs, and that's when they started the last. I think Saxon was the very last event, right? It, it might have been, man. I, I honestly don't remember. I feel like pinching those blobs warmed up my hands for the Saxon. So. I ended up pulling a decent number on it, Saxon, too. That was only, what, two months of training ever on the Saxon yeah. bar? Yeah, you probably had only touched a Saxon bar once or twice, and I think you pulled close to 250 that day. I believe I failed the two. I tried the 250 and I failed it. I think I got 241 or something like that. Okay, so still, I mean, essentially, your first time doing a a three inch Saxon lift, I should mention three inch Saxon. Yeah. Um, And uh, yeah, I mean, just to be pulling, you know oh you like curled a 50 pound blob you're doing these feats on the side it affected you on the hub but uh yeah you with minimal training you pulled 240s in a on a three inch saxon which is pretty pretty nuts i mean that's a pretty good lift so right there like i said that's when i kind of realized like you see those first two competitions you did and i'm like yeah like this is just the beginning man imagine if we you know like in my head i'm like dude like i gotta kind of like spend more time talking to this guy and getting him to kind of, you know, get into this sport because it's like, it'd almost be a crime if you didn't, you know what I mean? Ooh. So I was just like, yeah, like this, he just lift the inch the first time. He does a 50 pound blob curl. He's lifting the fat man. I'm like, and that's just the beginning. I'm like, there's no way this dude can just like do like one or two arm lifting events and then just like go back to his garage and not touch any of this stuff. It's like, I gotta like, not like bribe you or get you into it, but you know what I'm saying? Like I, I, 
just wanted to get you in the sport because it's like, man, but, there's potential. Yeah, that's you know, me wanting to do feats pre-comp is still an issue. <laughs> like when we did uh, skillet hands, it was either skillet hands or King Kong. Uh, I was lifting your 191 haul inch and then at nationals before that, I was trying to pick up the arm assassin 207 inch bell. So I, yeah. it's a constant issue. I, I just love grip so much that kind of gets in the way of my judgment sometimes. So Yeah. So maybe if anybody's wanting to compete against Ben in competition, maybe just bring a bunch of challenge items to him first and just tell him he can't do it and just get him like burnout on challenge items. That way, maybe you got a chance to beat him in comp. There you go. Yeah. Is, that, is that the secret to beating you in competition? <laughs> <laughs> just like lure him in with all these challenge items? It's very likely I'd probably end up touching them before the comp. So. <laughs> But, uh, but no, so uh, like I said, man, uh, I was just really impressed early on with uh, the feats and stuff. Now, do you still have a preference or do you like competitions more or do you like kind of your own personal feats and like your own personal challenges? Like you said, it's, it's hard for you to keep your hands off that stuff when a competition's around even. Yeah. So with that being such an issue or being a tough thing for you to do, do you like, uh, you know what I mean? Wh which Which way do you prefer? Because there's like, competitions and then there's kind of like underground um feats of strength or you know what i mean like yeah doing the inch bells the blobs the plate pinching and other things like that what uh where do you find yourself pulled more to would you say um I, after i answer this question zach i need to for some reason my phone isn't charging so i just want to make sure this thing doesn't die okay yeah yeah no man like whatever like i said whatever you got to do there's no no pressure. Yeah. So I prefer feats uh, over comps. I've never been very competitive. I feel like grips got me out of that or got me into a comfort zone for okay. competitions, but feats all day. I love feats, man. There's, there's always a new challenge to do. You're in your own zone. Um, I find that, you know, Doing different feats, there's always a different, I don't know, it's, it's different for everybody. There's a different hand position, a different comfort spot on your hand on the same implement. So like a blob. I grab my blob a certain way. I have a ritual I do, dragging my hand up the side of it. And then some people do the exact opposite. They just place a thumb first and you know what I mean? It's, it's just so different. And there's so many different feats out there to accomplish. I, I just, I don't know. They're, they're more attractive to me than competing. I love competing. I love the environment. Uh, it's a good community. I like meeting new people and trying to, you know, outlift top lifters. But for me personally, I enjoy feats. Okay. Yeah. Um, are you good with your phone set up and everything? Or do yeah. you want to? Yeah, give me like two minutes. I, just, I don't want my phone to cut off. I'll be right back. No, you're good, man. Yeah, take your time. So um, everybody, real quick, while Ben kind of uh, adjusts things on his end, um, I'm just going to say that uh, another thing I definitely noticed about Ben in competition was 
how humble he was and how open he was to receiving advice. You know, some people are kind of closed off. They think they know it all. Um, you know, you're talking about a guy who had the kind of lifts that, you know, the, the 800 plus deadlifts, the 500 plus bench, almost 600 pound bench, whatever, um, you know, coming into this new sport. And uh, while he's coming into this new sport, he could very easily just walk into that room and be like, yeah, dude, whatever. I know it all. I'm stronger than everybody, blah, blah, blah. Um, he could almost downplay the the sport and act like it's, you know, not a big deal, but that wasn't how Ben was. Ben was very uh, humble in his performance. He was very open for advice. And I think that's part of the reason he's still been so successful is because even though he's at a level where he's pulling off insane grip feats and, and doing all this crazy stuff that you guys see, he still almost has like that day one beginner mindset and the humbleness that allows him to learn from anybody. I know you just kind of came in halfway through what I'm saying, but I was basically just given the rundown that although you already came in with all this strength background, kinesiology, da, 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 you know, you come into this, you know, grip competition, you didn't come in and act like you already knew everything or you're stronger than most people. You're better than people. You came in with a very humble mindset was very open you know you were very open to taking advice and I was just explaining that I think that's part of the reason that we see your success or your continued success with these feats and how you continue to keep rising up is because you're not that guy that acts like you know it all you don't think that you know everything about lifting a blob or you know or just because you've cleaned the inch bell you're still even after cleaning the Thomas inch dumbbell you're still analyzing how to do it better. You know what I mean? You're still analyzing that movement and carrying that same stuff we talked about from analyzing the earlier lifts. You just applied that to grip. So do you have any comment on maybe your attitude of being open to advice, learning from anybody and just kind of staying humble and how that's helped you? Oh, uh, well, I just, I always love learning new things and I don't know everything. So even if, you know, just because I clean an inch dumbbell doesn't mean I'm so great, you know, like the best grip athlete or anything like that by any means. I mean, I still have a lot of learning to do. There's still a lot of stuff I don't know about. I mean, for nationals, up to, you know, that day of competing, I still didn't understand how the comp was going to go. Because my first comp I ever did, was last man standing. I've never done attempts and all that stuff. So when I, when I did nationals, I was going in like, oh, shoot, how am I going to approach this? What am I doing? What numbers am I going to pick? I was asking everyone for advice. You know, there's, there's always an, uh, some information from anyone that you could, so just because, you know, someone can't clean an inch doesn't mean that they know more about technique and more information about the inch dumbbell than I do. So, yeah, I'm always getting feedback from people, always trying to learn, always trying to grow. Um, it's not necessarily me trying to be humble. Uh, I can be pretty cocky, but uh, I'm just saying that me wanting to always learn kind of gives off that humble vibe, I guess. You know? Okay. So I was giving you too much credit? Yeah, you were. Okay. <laughs> so um, we talked about your introduction to blobs and bells. We talked a little bit about your analysis of kind of movement and maybe how you've translated that to grip. Did you want to touch on that at all? Um, just explaining you know, maybe how you applied 
like the analysis of your movement positioning and how you yeah maximize that with some of the feats you've pulled off um yeah so uh, I, I can talk about the ritual thing i do with the blob and how i end up cleaning the inch uh but okay. when i was talking about bending the bar yep. bench press angles getting the, your elbows turned in stuff like that um when I got my degree at Reno College, it, it, that, that really helped a lot. So I'm always trying to find different angles, different comfort, best, uh, I don't know, with the best way you can move an object and keep your body in the plane of motion you want to be in. So like for the blob, um, there's a lot of friction involved with that. So what I try to do is skin stretching is really important. So if this is the blob, I like to catch all these calluses on my palm with the edge of that blob. So every time you see me lift a blob, I slide my hand down it and then pull it up like this so that my knuckles hook on to that edge. Then I put my fingers in, stretch the skin of my thumb. When it feels comfortable, then I lift it. Same thing for the inch dumbbell. I'm always stretching the webbing on my thumb. The more stretching you get, the more surface area that covers the implement, more friction. So I've always been looking at, you know, that, that type of stuff, like for the inch bell when I posted to my highlights on my Instagram page, different steps for, you know, setting up the clean for the inch dumbbell, like getting your feet, like having the bell mid foot, dragging it to you, to lock in more pinky pressure because it's predominantly, you know, a friction lift mostly for the initial part, but then the rest is body dominant. But once you get the bar or the bar, the bell off the ground and you have your, your pinky lock in with all that pressure, I'm just making this real short too. I, I could go in. Uh, yeah. We could do a three hour. We could probably do a full DVD on you cleaning the inch or something. I, I, I totally get that. So, so once, once you have it pulled to you, you lift up the bell to make it a V-bar. So it's, you're no longer thinking of a rolling handle type thing. You're not, you're not pulling thick bar anymore. You're pulling a V-bar. So it's, you got to look at so many different ways the inch bell transforms when you're doing a clean. So I just try and get as analytical as I can with it. Well, it definitely has paid off. Um, just for like a bonus question. Um, if you don't know, that's fine. But what is the what are the, what are the most reps you've landed an inch bell clean in training? Do you know that number? Uh, I think the most I've done is twenty seven. Twenty seven inch bell cleans in one session. Yeah. Okay. Um, I yeah just just had to ask because I was kind of curious. I know there's been times where you've done double digits. I mean, almost every time when you were training the cleans. Um, yeah, I just didn't know what that top number was. I think out of all of my inch clean sessions I've done, only two or three of them have been sub double digits. Okay. So, yeah, I think, well, I know that I've cleaned the inch bell over 200 times now. So it's, it's up there. Okay. So Ben, I would like to add, Ben has cleaned the inch dumbbell, not only over 200 times, but a lot of these dumbbells, because they're inch dumbbell replicas, like Ben stated earlier, there's the original Thomas inch dumbbell, which essentially nobody gets hands on. And then we have all these other inch replicas. Well, being replicas, 
a lot of times the replicas end up harder to lift than the original inch bell itself because they're heavier the casting process is you know it's, it's it's a little different so you end up with heavier bells so i'd like to add in there that, that you have over 200 plus inch dumbbell cleans to your name mm-hmm. and a lot of these bells are higher than the regular 78 kilo or 172 pound oh, they all are. Inch dumbbell every bell you've done the cleans with has been above that limit so mm-hmm. um any in your your uh 172 slater is the only one that I've done well in the one at nationals. I forgot yeah. about that. that was next, yeah. The easiest one of all. I mean, that one launched up, but that was what 169, 168. Yeah. That was super light, but and then I had you here um at, at my home gym and you cleaned my 180 pound Thomas Inch dumbbell. Mm-hmm. So I mean that that flew up. And uh so like I said, just to add some credit to that. You, you've done you said 27 inch cleans in one session and like i said over 200 inch cleans total to your name and most of those bells being higher or a more difficult feat than the original inch bell itself so just uh trying to keep trying to put that in perspective and just let people understand you know kind of what they're looking at um i spoke um in an earlier episode of the show with joe hodgson who's lifted some real big bells and uh we kind of thought that you know for the magnitude of what you've done with the inch bell and your clean and the analysis and the amount and how you've made it just repetitive um and the the how heavy of inch bells you've cleaned um we thought that it kind of just got overlooked a little bit like i said the top end guys or the people we would consider more household names in grip or the more well-known well-established competitors or people that have been in that lane um they would give praise and you know they they understand the magnitude of that feat but i think a lot of the uh newer lifters or people newer to grip almost don't realize that like you know dude like do you do you know what it's like like the guys clean the inch bell 200 times do you know what that means it's almost like it slips their mind or they don't they can't comprehend it you know what i mean so i i don't know we just felt like when we discussed it that like man like yeah ben ben's gotten a little bit of credit for that but we still feel like that kind of gets overlooked and uh i don't know how do you feel about that i kind of like that they um treat it so nonchalant like that because yeah and that's kind of the approach I had with it because once I was able to lift it and I was like, Oh, so this is what I'm dealing with here. That's why I got the mindset of I'm going to try to clean this thing. And I just focus, you know, it, it was super, super hard to do. Um, it took a lot of effort, a lot of training, a lot of focus, a lot of study, but I want more people to think that way. Um, I want people to think, well, shit, if you can do it, I can do it. That's, that's great. Um, yeah. maybe it'll humble you or maybe you'll prove everybody wrong and be the next lightest person to clean the edge. I'm hoping, you know, before we're dead and gone, I hope I can see someone 172 pounds clean 172 pound inch dumbbell. That would be amazing. Yeah. So, yeah. For sure. And I, and I think it's a good point you mentioned because with these feats of strength, sometimes I like how you said, you know, they treat it kind of nonchalant, or maybe that's a positive thing that they're not kind of putting you or that feet on such a pedestal. 
because it kind of uh, brings it down to a a more regular thing and then it kind of can become more human and duplicated you know what i mean like sometimes with these feats i think we and i say we as in like just people that train grip in general <clears throat> we see a we see that mountain that we got to climb whatever that lift may be and putting it on a pedestal is bad for you mentally because you can almost go into it defeated like oh, i'll probably never lift that or you know that's something that's kind of out of my reach and i think that kills a lot of people that totally if they just like abandon that mindset never put it on a pedestal just treated it like any other lift and just went head first into it <clears throat> i think they would be surprised at what they would actually be able to do so i think it's a good point you bring up i think some maybe maybe yeah we give credit where credit's due for big feats and stuff like that but also there's a benefit to not putting these things on such a pedestal that you prevent yourself from doing them you know so mm -hmm. i don't know i just think it's a trap maybe some people fall into and that's what when you said that comment it kind of made a light bulb go off in my head i'm like ah yeah how many people you know see the inch dumbbell and think oh i could never do that and it's like dude you might be the next dude to clean the inch dumbbell if you can just exactly. don't yeah. think that way so i think that you have a i think you have a really good take on that um with uh like I said, just back to the humble thing, but also just how to push forward and up the feats. Like if you start putting stuff on a pedestal, you're only going to, you know, your ceiling's only going to be so high. Yeah. But if you, if you kind of just open that ceiling up and Hey, I can do anything. You just chip away at it. You probably are going to go farther than the guy that's kind of like already setting limitations for himself. Mm -hmm. so, yeah. um, so I'm just going to move down other topics that you kind of wanted to discuss. Sure. This one might get people a little amped up. Um, bracing lifts. Let's talk about bracing lifts and what we mean, people, by bracing a lift. I'll try to do my best to explain it. Ben can do his best to explain it if, if I miss something. Bracing a lift. Now, think of this, right? We are in grip sport, arm lifting, or if we're just talking pure lifting in your home gym, training grip feats. So grip feet, whatever implements, handles, you're training in your own place. When we say bracing a lift, that is you placing the implement, the handle, some part of that against your body, therefore taking some of that weight off of your grip. So if the goal for us is to test grip strength or the feet is a grip strength feet, the second you start initiating body contact to make the lift happen, your grip is no longer doing that feat. So it kind of defeats the purpose. Mm -hmm. So we're just going to discuss, like I said, bracing lifts. Um, ben, do you want to kind of maybe give a little intro or just your kind of take on it? Or if that explanation was a little confusing to people, maybe that, clear it up. You're pretty spot on with it. I mean, that's like the video, the sarcastic video I posted about a while back with the Rolling Thunder yeah back when jed was you know showing the actual uh magazine cover oh. of a dude bracing i thought oh my gosh how, how do people not you know notice this kind of stuff but when, when you when you dig the handle into your leg and do a lift and claiming you know this is the amount of weight that you're holding on to that, that's just not it you're you're not holding on to it your your, your hip joint is holding on to it. I don't know. Yeah. Because I, 
can't remember how much weight I put on the Rolling Thunder, but it was it, it was an amount of weight that would take years to be able to pull on, and it just nonchalantly lifted. You just, you just did it that second with bracing. Yeah, yeah. And, and it what to be honest, I I made it pretty sarcastic. Like I dug it in there and yeah. all that, but it, it could be easily faked. Like I could go to a comp hosting Rolling Thunder. And it's it's real easy to brace a lift and get away with it. There are some people that don't know what they're looking for. There are some people that might think it's bracing, might not be. It's a little close, but they'll give you the lift. So I don't know. Yeah. I just I feel like the the integrity of the sport can be altered pretty easily. Absolutely. And yeah, I just wish people. Or just keep it as clean as possible, and that's why when I when I do most of my lifts now, if it, if my forearm is too close to my leg, I try to back it up a little bit, and if it's going to make my numbers lower, then so be it. That's yeah, I'm not strong enough. That's the point. So. And that's the the thing is like we're here to test grip strength, or we're doing grip strength things. So at any point in time when your grip isn't the main supporting part of the lift, then it's like kind of defeats the purpose like the example would be um like it well like picking a blob up from the floor you can't really brace it because it's at a deficit yeah same thing with the inch bell you can't really brace the inch bell from the floor but i see a lot of people also in training they're able to lift the inch bell mm-hmm. they'll pull the inch bell to lock out and then they will place it against their body wedge it up against their body and hold it and claim that it's a timed hold. Yeah. And it's like, I, I just, I just would like to, I would like to break this down a little bit. When you pick the inch bell up and you just rest it on your body, you're no longer holding the inch bell. It's not a timed hold. That's, I, I would say that's my opinion. That's fact. Like you're not holding it. If you were holding it, it wouldn't be on your body. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. So I will add though, if you are newer or your strength level is not there yet, bracing implements or objects against your body and more so with like blobs and inch bells that is a valid training method to get to a full lift same for plate pinching yes same with plate pinching you can use your body but that is an assisted lift and that's an assisted lift that you would be using to catapult you up to doing a clean lift that has full integrity that's all grip strength so there is a method where you can brace something against your body and then the angle of your body or how much body you kind of push into it or how much contact you have kind of uh, moderates how much your hand has to hold. Like, well, mm-hmm. if I lean a little bit more this way, it goes more to my hand. I'm holding closer to what the inch bell weighs. If I lean more on my body, the bell gets a little bit lighter because my body's taking some of that. So I just had to bring that up because you, you see guys that are doing these holds. But if I pick a blob up and set it in my hip pocket, and just lean, that's not you holding it with your hand. You know what I mean? So there, we just see bracing in all forms, whether it be a handle and a competition like you're explaining, where maybe the back end is kind of just touching that thigh enough to where they can squat it up mm-hmm. and the judge doesn't see it, or it's somebody that's just training, you know, regular old feats in their gym, but they're being like, oh, I just did a 15 second hold with the inch dumbbell. And it's like, yeah. No, you lifted the inch dumbbell and then you did an assisted method for 13 seconds. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, that's, 
not the same thing. So yeah, I think it's very good to uh, kind of draw the line with that. And that's why I think discussing bracing is an interesting topic. Um, but one thing I will add, like you said, it's kind of easy in a way, depending on the judges and who's there, it's, this falls on the judges. If you see somebody bracing a handle or bracing something, there's more than just lockout you have to look for. If it's a, like, let's say it's an arm lifting USA event, all their lifts are pulled to lockout. If it's a grip sport international, it's typically, unless it's an axle or Saxon, typically it's pulled to height, meaning a crossbar will come up and hit the knock bar. That takes away some of the opinion of what lockout is. Okay, so both parties still have to have a judge that's aware that bracing can occur. Whether it's a lockout lift or whether it's a pull to height lift, both of those formats are still open to bracing and lifters bracing implements and the method of lockout or pull to height does not take away that problem. But I think a lot of judges sit there at their competition and they go, did it hit the crossbar? Okay, good lift. They're not paying attention. Did the guy wrap his fingers underneath the handle? Did he put the handle in the wrong spot? I just want to put that out. There is more to judging than just reaching lockout, just hitting that knock bar. There are other rules set in place tilting an implement, having your handle, you, know, you get what I'm saying. So uh, do you have any take on that or any advice for maybe people that are judging comps or? I th- to be honest, I feel like it'd be beneficial if there were two judges, one person to watch the uh, competitor's hands and the other judge to watch the knock bar, to be honest, because that, that's a lot to focus on. Um, Absolutely. But, you know, for Armlifting USA, because they're, they're lockout, Mm-hmm. I don't think they would need two judges, but uh, I do feel like for GSI, two judges would be very beneficial. And uh, it could bring up a new take on uh, like Saxons and Axles too. You could do uh, lifting for height as well on uh, Axles and Saxons instead of a lockout. Like you could, you know, those competition uprights we use from Arm Assassin. Mm-hmm. Um, you could have one on each side of the bar. And uh, when you do the lift, like let's just say we'll make it a six inch lift. You could do a six inch lift on an axle or a Saxon because you have both ends of the bar touching a knock bar. Okay. And like if their grip's uneven, um, one knock bar will touch and the other one won't. It'll be a no lift, right? I think that'd be pretty neat to include. And then that also force the need for two judges as well. So, okay. And, and that's, that's an interesting take. Yeah. Um, and I don't know if you know this, but I remember this. Um, uh, Jed's old podcast, This Week in Grip, that was one of the things that they discussed. Oh, really? Yeah. So it's, it's, it's an older episode of This Week in Grip, but they discussed because they kind of had this debate of, you know, lockout, pull to height. And one of the things they mentioned about, well, how could we get these two hand lifts to, you know, to be a pull to height? And they had that exact same idea and they kind of discussed it. And personally, for me, I would like to see Saxon and Axel stay a lockout lift, but the idea that pull to height is a possibility or that it could be done. They discussed it. You just brought that idea up. Um, It's definitely a, a smart idea. Like I said, my personal opinion, I would like to see them stay lockout lifts, even if that means there's a little more subjective opinion to what, what's lockout. Well, 
they could have both kind of like little bighorn. I mean, on the grip sport page, you know, with all the rankings, top 100 and all that, the selections for little bighorn are lockout lift, six inch lift. And is there, there's a third option too, right? I, I think it's just the two, just lockout yep. and six inch. For they could bighorn. have, you know, the same for Saxon and uh, Axel. You could, I just think then it might like, if let's say you have 50 lifts, if you open up some of that, now you have a hundred lifts you're tracking and it might like water things down too much. You, you know, it might, it, might, it might just create too many things that can be tested. And then we kind of lose the core lifts of the sport. You think, or not necessarily. Uh, I think, uh, oh. no, I just, it depends. I guess it depends on the kind of like what implements you have in it too. Yeah. But uh, so so any other uh, any other things just addressing bracing or anything like that? Um, like I said, that just we just kind of we're touching on it, but I I just see it often where guys are claiming that they're doing a timed hold, and it's like there's a difference between doing a timed hold and you doing an assisted lift. You know what I mean? That's the biggest one I see. It's like yeah, you can't, you can't call an assisted lift a timed hold. Like, and if you're doing a feat that like you pick something up and you just totally brace one piece of it mm-hmm. while you try to lift something else. It's like, just lift the thing, drop it, and then go pick up the other thing. Because when you lift it up, set it in your lap or do something else, you're not holding it anymore anyway. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? So it's not like you did a combo. So just. I think a lot of it too, though, is, you know, some of these people are pretty new as well. Yeah. Um, when you see a, someone who's been doing it for years, doing that it's a totally different story but true you know, I've, I've i've fallen victim to it like that video i showed you uh when i was learning how to do my first blob inch combo i picked up the inch first and i was like well i should have picked them up at the same time <laughs> yeah over try to pick up the blob and the inch fell to my lap and i was like oh oh well it's ugly but i'll count that but that, yeah. yeah just i remember that lift and then also i think you had a similar moment being new where uh you were getting like some body contact when you were doing inch transfers. Some, maybe, oh. maybe a lot. Okay, okay. <laughs> it, it was that was just completely um, <laughs> for some reason. I guess my body wasn't used to that. I guess forward load. So every time I throw the bell to my other hand, it pulled me forward, and my legs wanted to bow in, yeah. and control it it just kept happening so i guess like, screw it i'm just going to keep doing this until eventually my body gets used to it and i can keep my legs open yeah because you were like throwing transfers back and forth but like the top <laughs> globe was like on your body the whole time yeah it, it was bad i'm sure i was pissing off a lot of people with that <laughs> so I, everybody I, if, if, you, if you if you were mad at the time or you happen to see those videos ben apologizes yeah i no, fixed I'm it just, <laughs> Every time I do it now, I either call it a solid transfer or a legit transfer, not these cheater transfers. Yeah. Um, yeah. So to, to, I guess we'll, we won't beat a dead horse and go crazy on bracing lifts, um, but I think there are some good ideas there. And at least it's good to put it in the minds of people that are hosting and judging to kind of look out for more than just lockout or that bar touching. Yeah. There's other rules. Make sure that you, if you're hosting and you're competing, 
know all the rules of how much an implement can be tilted, how much of your hand can be here off centered, know the pull height, know, you, you get what I'm saying? Like, I just think that so often we just see people that like, Hey, grab it however you want. They're not even looking at the lifter. They're almost just looking at the knock bar. And it's like, no, you still need to be watching that guy's hand position because I mean, there's lots of implements where you could reach your hand in a spot where it's not allowed, or you could be getting too much body contact. You know what I mean? Uh, so I think that not to just kind of trash people that are bracing lifts and training or claiming stuff that they're not doing, that's not necessarily the goal to make sure that this discussion of bracing lifts is a positive. If anything, if there's one takeaway, I would just like judges to be aware, to be looking at the whole picture of the lift within all the rules, not just that, did his legs stand up straight? Didn't you wear his shoulders back? Yeah. Well, none of that matters if the handle's wedged in his hip pocket. You know what I mean? So don't don't get so blinded by lockout or don't get so blinded by the knock bar that you're passing guys lifts that aren't doing legit lifts. So I think that's just the biggest takeaway from the bracing talk. Like, yeah, it's fun to joke around about guys leaning up, leaning bells, you know, max, you know, max timed hold. And it's like, yeah, dude, you just held the bell against your body for 10 seconds. Cool. Um, but if we could make it a, uh, a meaningful discussion that actually, you know, other than just kind of trash talking, so to speak, that's the biggest takeaway I would like to, I guess, portray to judges and stuff is just to uh, make sure you know the rule set and make sure you have your eyes on there. That way the integrity of your competition and the integrity of your lifts keep the sport clean and keep everybody uh, kind of in check. You know, that's, that's kind of the responsibility you take on when you host a competition. So that's my thought. Do you have a thought on that? Like a finishing thought? for a bracing um, i'm completely agree. okay now yeah. um next bullet point i'm just going to kind of go down your list here to make sure that i cover some things that you wanted to discuss um claiming lifts without proof do you want to expand on that or what you mean exactly by that uh yeah so what i mean by that is like if it wasn't on video it didn't happen that that type of thing <laughs> yeah right <laughs> yeah um I have pressed, not clean and pressed. I have pressed the Thomas Inch dumbbell tons of times back in, you know, let's see. I remember you pressing it. Oh, just, yeah. Just I, just not with the clean at the same time. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I've pressed, I have, so before I knew about you know, scaling all your weights after you've, you've done your lift and all that stuff. I didn't know any of that stuff. I just thought people believe it or they don't. I don't care. So when I was doing Strongman, I had my, some Mike Bartos big top circus dumbbells. Mm -hmm. And the heaviest press I ever done was 255 pounds. Okay. But not once did I ever, at the end of the video, unscrew it, take all the weights out, show how much everything weighed, none of that stuff. So... Yeah. There's no proof that my best circus dumbbell press was 255 pounds. It's just, that's what I said I did. That's it. So there's no proof. So you can't really prove that I did or not. Yeah. Same thing for claiming you've, oh, I'm also guilty of this too. Um, closing a four, a captain's of crush number four. Um, before I knew that captain's of crush was 
used in competitions. I thought it was just, oh, it's a hand gripper. That's super heavy. It's hard to close. I've closed a number four before. Back when I was, you know, taking SARMs, those 300 pounds, those, you know, doing all the heavy lifting. Now I'm struggling to close 3.5s. But I'm going to get back to that. But when I do close, I'm going to close the same four that I had originally, but it's going to be on video. Okay. So I don't know. It, it's kind of haunting knowing that you've done some things that need to be recorded and they weren't, but if it's- Especially when the claims are so high that people are like, yeah, BS. Yeah. And you now, know what I mean? Yeah, so now I can clean the inch, but now I can't press it. So it's kind of like a bunch of other people out there are probably like, yeah, he's full of shit. And he never pressed the inch dumbbell. He's never been that strong to, to press the inch dumbbell, but you know, yeah. there's a lot of fatigue involved with an inch cleaning. Not just, you know, all the muscles working, but once you clean that bell, it, it smacks the hell out of your shoulder. And that, that takes a lot of uh, strength out of your press because one, you know, after the impact, you feel it, you're really sore. And it's not, oh, I'm, I'm sore from muscle exertion. I'm sore, yeah. I just got, you know, the shit smacked out of me. So that's from being able to just press it or press the bell pretty easily to completely struggling just locking it out it's it's it really it's a mind game but not having those presses on video kind of changes everything you know yeah and also um just to just to add in i i don't want to reveal a whole lot about it or anything or talk too much or you can say what you want but uh you've been cleaning the inch bell with your right side and you haven't done it left-handed yet, correct? I have not. But at the same time, your right shoulder has been giving you issues and you've had a right shoulder injury on and off that you've been dealing with that has also played a factor in you not pressing the bell. I don't know if a lot of people know that. I don't know if you put that out. I don't want to put too much out about it if you don't. But oh, you, you've had a shoulder issue. So when we talk about maybe losing some of that pressing ability, like when you when your shoulder was feeling good and you were launching bigger bells for press for the press mm -hmm. and then you got into but you know you couldn't clean it back then well once you got to where you could clean it you had some shoulder issues and some stuff going on so the timing was kind of off um just something else to kind of add in um that it's, it's not just necessarily oh i was stronger then and now i'm weaker in the press you might've been a little stronger than in your pressing, but you've also had an injury that you've dealt with that has played a role in the finishing off of that press. And you have come inches from completing an inch dumbbell clean and press. Yeah. Haunting. Uh, <laughs> it's haunting, but it, I think it'll happen and uh, just got to keep your shoulder healthy and make sure that. Uh, yeah, man. Um, it'll, it'll happen. That, that beach vacation I had was exactly what my shoulder needed to um i haven't had any shoulder pain since i got back from my beach trip dude you know i didn't do any lifts really on my trip and then when i got back i'm not doing it uh, i haven't done any cleans um i've been focusing on you know mostly lateral raises and very light overhead pressing trying to keep some strength in the shoulder so i think okay. uh, doing what i'm doing now um it's gonna happen because i I'm not worried about not being able to clean it. Uh, I could take a couple months off, five months off, 
and still be able to clean an inch bell just because one, I'm always training on just regular inch lifts. And two, I've kind of got the postures down to like a science personally for me now. So I'm not too concerned about not being able to clean it again. So now I'm just focusing on getting my shoulders strong again and completing the whole thing. Okay. And that, that is one of your future goals is to oh, yeah. clean and press the inch dumbbell because mm-hmm. you have pressed it, you have cleaned it, but you have not cleaned and pressed it together. That would yep. be the catch. Um, and when you actually real quick, sorry, I got one more question that just came to me. Um, as the lightest person to clean an inch dumbbell, what's the lightest body weight because I know you have the video where like you weighed 224 or 227 mm-hmm. when you weighed yourself and you cleaned it and oh Ben's the lightest to clean it because you know you weighed yourself and it was that's the proof we talk about um, mm-hmm. but I'm sure there's other sessions where you just didn't film it you, you didn't like we said you did over 200 cleans mm-hmm. you know total you didn't film your body weight every single time you didn't film every single clean you're training you're not filming every damn thing right was there ever a time you cleaned the inch dumbbell and you were lighter than that video of 224 227 what's the lightest you think you've actually been but maybe you didn't film it between 218 and 220 i'd say okay i was just curious because like i said I, i i know the video where you filmed it so that can't be disputed blah 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 yeah oh the scale's fake no i'm just kidding but uh what i really liked too though was doing it at nationals because my weight not only is just you know on a recording on some instagram post but it's in the records i was 227 like i weighed in that yep. weight so okay that's really special i like that a lot that's cool okay true yeah and, and there you have kind of witnesses and you damn near pulled off the clean and press about four or five times after doing a four or five hour competition so that that's a, a goal I look forward to seeing you complete. And uh, like I said, just stay healthy and hopefully uh, hopefully it won't take too much longer. Now, I want to bring up other future lifts that you're going to try to tackle because I'm sure people are like, okay, we, we know what he's done. We've seen what he's capable of. What's this guy got cooking behind the scenes? What's next? What's he going to bring? You know, what, what's that next thing going to be? Mm-hmm. Um, so do you have any future lifts you'd like to bring up? I have some that you listed here for me, but do you have any that are fresh on your mind? Definitely transferring Blobzilla. That's, okay. I think about that one a lot, a whole lot. I actually think about that one more than the clean of breaths. Okay. And anybody yeah. that isn't familiar, um, whether you're listening, whether you're watching this video, um, when Ben is saying a Blobzilla, that is a half of a 130 pound York legacy dumbbell that's been turned into a blob. And you lose some weight when you cut the handle. Dumbbells are not always the exact weight, but that is a very wide, large blob that very few people have lifted. And when Ben is talking about transferring that, he means throwing it from one hand to the other and catching it with the other hand. So, uh, yeah, that's basically taking a giant chunk, that blob, that's going to roughly be 62 to probably 65 pounds picking it up, launching it over and catching it and stopping it with the other hand, extremely difficult. So um, yeah, man, a a Blobzilla transfer would be pretty insane. I'm not sure that I've seen 
anyone do it. I don't want to, I don't want to be incorrect. I know like Thomas Larson has giant hands and he like face lifted it and curled it. I, I know. Curl That'd be awesome. I know, I know guys have curled Blobzilla. I know people have uh, cleaned it. I just don't, I don't know that I've seen a Blobzilla transfer. So I could be wrong, but from my memory, I, I don't know of anybody doing that one yet. So that's a, that's a cool feat. Um, I think it would happen before the transfer. I never thought about that. Cause you know, I love curling blobs. That's like one of the things I do all the time. But you have really strong wrists. I mean, for, for that feat, that's yeah something that uh, I don't know, definitely helps. I, I can lift some pretty big blobs, but to curl a blob, it's there's something in my wrist in that open hand position that, just doesn't feel good and i i need more time to build it up before i could even considering cleaning some or uh, cleaning curling some of those larger blobs i could clean blobs i can you know lift them all that stuff um and do okay but to curl it it's like man half 80 half 90 will start breaking my wrist down and stuff like that but then i see guys like uh uh, you um luke raymond's another one that comes to mind luke luke has a very strong wrist and uh he actually kind of hurt himself, I think, trying to curl a red pill. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which, I mean, red pill's a hard blob to curl. But uh, Luke kind of hurt something in his hand trying to curl that. But you guys are, are two people that come into mind when I think of, like, blob curls. Um, Tim Butler would be another one. Tim picks them up by the face and curls them. And t- Tim's just strong in those positions. So you guys are probably some of the best blob curlers out there. But, man, there's something about that position that just doesn't really uh, – I don't know. I don't feel, don't feel good there. I guess I just got to work it a little bit more. Um, yeah. It's hands are all different, man. That's why I, uh, on narrow pinch, I have my West side grip going. Yeah. Do you want to explain that real quick? So people know, know what you're talking about. So on narrow pinch, like two inch pinch, I can't keep my hand like this. It throbs these knuckles. So in order to keep them from being just super uncomfortable, I overlap my fingers like this. And for some reason, having my hand like this, there's no pain in my knuckles. So that's the kind only like, way. Yeah, they kind of like support each other, kind of takes that direct pressure off of that that knuckle. Yeah. So that's Ben's west side grip um, for narrow pinch, if anybody was wondering what he meant. Um, and, if you're, and if you're not... Uh, and if you're not viewing this on YouTube and maybe you're listening on another platform, um, he's basically making the West side symbol with his hand where he's crossing a middle or a ring finger over top of one another to make the West side thing. And that is how he is completing his narrow pinch lift. Um, so he doesn't hurt his knuckle or wherever that pain is. Um, so Blobzilla transfer um, and then lifting the blob father is another one. I'm getting there. Uh, well, not recently, but. Yeah. There was a period of time where I was getting some good air with it, but now I haven't been able to budget. Okay. So I changed, but I just can't and, budget. And for anybody else that, like I said, maybe people don't know the blob father is a 140 legacy blob. So it's just a bigger size up from the blobzilla. So it's just a 140 legacy dumb or half of a 140 legacy dumbbell. And uh, it typically is going to be a little heavier. There's some width that, you know, that's the thing about blob lifting that I think a lot of people, well, the people that do it know, but people outside don't get is that when you go up in a blob size, 
you're not only tackling extra weight, there's extra width. So everything gets like magnified. You know what I mean? So it's like, at some point, hand size starts to really matter. And uh, just because you can lift extra weight on a more narrow blob doesn't necessarily mean that you could lift a wider blob that's even lighter than that just because the width so there's more factors than just the the weight of a blob so my napalm blob i have the half 135 york legacy yep it's wider than my blob father and a pound heavier i really yeah it's And, and i guess there's just nothing you can do i mean that's casting that's how it's made you know what i mean you didn't make it yeah so i'm probably the lift blob father before i lift the uh napalm blob wow okay um and another um pretty awesome one on here is a 300 pound saxon lift and i'm assuming you mean on a three inch bar yes yeah okay so do you want to talk about that lift at all or uh yeah so i I guess because when i did the super series and i was pulling pretty decent numbers for, you know, first time ever pulling on a Saxon. I kind of got this, I really enjoyed lifting Saxon because I thought, oh, okay, I'm kind of good at it. So might as well stick to it, right? So, um, yeah, I, my best pull right now is 270 and I've been breaking ground consistently to 280 pounds. I had a little race with Jason Dingy and lost miserably when he locked out the uh, 280. I was really happy for him, but yeah, got my ass kicked on that. So okay, so you and Jason Dingy had like a behind the scenes like friendly challenge going. Yeah, it, yeah, it was in the um, that grip chat that we had with everybody. Okay, so you guys, so you guys were kind of racing to what was it 280? You said yeah, 280, and he demolished it. So okay. But my brain goal is the 300 pound. That's why uh, in Griftsport Latino, and they had Carl on the other day. Yes. One of my, yeah. One of my questions was, what, what's your training regimen to get your 300 pound Saxon? Because I want to get there. So when you mentioned the wrist curls, 65% of what you're doing on your wrist curls, I'm like, dang, you know, I never thought of anything like that. And I'm yeah. sure I have a real bad problem getting skin tears when I do three inch Saxon, um, 65% wrist curls. I don't think that would be bad on my webbing. So that wouldn't, be t- yeah, wouldn't tear you. Yeah. So when he, when he shared that, uh, I was very grateful. So yeah, you, you know, what's funny is, uh, I was in the middle of a lift yesterday and this, this is just some insight. I'll give you guys some insight into my mind and Ben thinks very similar. Um, we, we think pretty similar in the way we overanalyze or dive into these things. I was listening to the Grip Sport Latino show or podcast where he was interviewing Carl Myersko and the same thing you're talking about where Carl was breaking that down. I was actually lifting in my garage while it was playing. And when Carl started to explain what he did, I instantly, I had a a block of chalk that still was in the wrapping because I didn't have a paper. So, you know, like chalk, uh, like a block of chalk comes with like a, it's like packaged almost like gift wrap or whatever Mm -hmm. i grabbed a sharpie i grabbed a sharpie and while carl was talking i was like okay 60 to 65 percent uh da 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 this many sets i I just wrote down instantly what he did like on spot like in the middle of my workout i was listening oh that caught my attention yeah yeah yeah. i I literally wrote it down on a block of chalk so um we're on the same page with uh kind of uh 
you know what I mean? Just listening for that knowledge and knowing when somebody's talking. And uh, I, I look forward to hopefully interviewing Carl in the future and uh, getting the chance to talk to him as well. But yeah, that's uh, as far as I, as far as I know, Carl's the only person to lift 300 pounds on a, a three inch Saxon. So if you or Jason Dingy or, you know, some other party was able to run that number up to 300 and join him, that would be pretty insane and very rare territory. Yeah. So, um, and then another thing you wrote down here for uh, goals in general was you said all lifts are lifetime goals. And I kind of know what you mean, but can you explain that in your own words? So I always treat all of my grand goals as a lifetime goal. Um, if, if you don't treat them that way, you're not going to take them as serious. Um, like if it happens, it happens. I treat them all as there's a chance I could never pull this off. So I need to stay focused, train hard, and make sure it happens. So all the goals that I want, I treat like a lifetime goal. Take them serious because I want to achieve them. They need to happen. And then if it happens, well, I just upgrade it. It's, there's a new lifetime goal right after that. So you never know. I mean, you could have a goal that you think is achievable that may never happen. So that's why I treat them as the lifetime. Like the, the inch clean yeah. was a lifetime goal because there could have been a chance where I never did it or I got a serious injury that would prevent me from ever doing it. So that's why I treat them that way. And that's why I call them that. Okay. No, it definitely makes sense. And like I said, grip is kind of a lifetime endeavor as well, where we see guys in their later years still gaining strength or, you know, still maintaining their, their hand strength above, you know, if the body gives a little bit, but the, the hands seem to kind of uh, retain some strength a little bit later in years. So having grip goals be long-term, I think is a, is a good way to look at it. Um, so we've covered a lot so far. Um, I know obviously lifting, I don't know if you consider it a hobby or not, but it's one of your hobbies. I know you collect inch bells and you're collecting blobs that was part of your hobbies do you have any blobs or inch bells that you are looking forward to getting you're on the hunt for um just you know what i'm on the hunt for i'm on the hunt for a blue blob bad okay Ever since, you know went to plate again a couple of days ago and found they're in immaculate shape it was crazy how blue the paint was on them i found these little a pair of 10 pound um york blue dumbbells the factory paint on them uh i didn't know what they were at first i thought oh you know because I'm, I'm trying to collect some roundhead dumbbells i saw they're blue and i'm like oh someone painted these i'm going to strip them when i get home thankfully i started messaging some of my buddies <laughs> they were like do not strip that paint that is factory those are the, the blue series you find in the uh, sporting goods stores way back when yeah. so real excited about that then uh it, it it got to where this is how you know i have that collection addiction that i was telling you about it i almost convinced myself that i already had a blue blob <laughs> yeah. I, I was looking at this my very first fat man i had had this weird tint when you shine a light on it it has this blue tint to it 
I thought, oh, that's weird, you know, someone painted it funky, blah, blah, blah. But then I got started getting more information about blue blobs. I'm like, I need to talk to Jed and Zach and everybody about this. So I started, I took so many videos to the point where I look desperate, like, this is a blue blob, trust me. I and mean, it's not, it definitely is not a blue blob. So Okay, so you, I, you don't have a half 100 blue blob and that is one that you're on the hunt for. No, it got to the point where, like I stayed up all night that night thinking, what if it is, what if it is, what if it is? And then once we had enough daylight, I took it outside to get proper lighting on it. I'm like, oh, man, it's not. So I am yeah. on the. Um, just, just to throw this out there and my information, and this would probably be coming from Jed Johnson. Jed has one. Mm-hmm. And I believe he said that Richard Soren has one uh, founder owner of Sorenex. So those would yep. be the only two people I'm aware of that have half 100s that are of the blue style blobs. And I have not heard of anybody else that has one, but you know, they got to be out there somewhere. And I guarantee you a bunch of people have them and don't even know because I Absolutely. guarantee you there are people out there that strip that paint off because they didn't like the blue. That, that could be a thing too. You yeah. never know. Or I mean, you, we've seen it so many times. I mean, guys repaint blobs now and try to resell them and it's like why why are you yeah. even uh, that or very large blobs that people have that yeah, so, stripped or repainted so. i guess it's like any vintage weights uh, type hunt or any like holy grail you're you're looking for that one thing and you know it's out there but man it's uh extremely rare but yeah hopefully uh someday that'll line up or do you know if they have different specs are they the same as the first um, I, I could be wrong and we could always double check after this, but I believe that the blue blob is kind of an in-between okay. of a fat man and a next gen. I, I, like I said, I'm not saying that with hundred percent confidence, but I think when they did the blues, mm-hmm. it's not quite as wide as a fat man, but it doesn't have as sharp of a side as a next gen. So it's kind of like the middle between those two. Okay. If that makes sense. And that's the best yep. knowledge I have. And I'm going off memory. So uh, if anybody listens to this, that would know, like I said, Jed probably has a pretty good idea. Um, Cause he has a yep. lift the blob book and everything. And I think maybe that's where I'm pulling this info from because everybody calls uh, a next gen, sometimes a second gen blob. I do that. But really the second gen was the blue blob and it yeah. gets overlooked. So really there was the original fat man blobs that were wider, bigger slopes. There was the second gen, which was more of the blue blob, I believe. And then you would have next gen technically being the third, but often referred to the the blue gets cut out and we only think of the other two because the blues are, I don't think they were produced as much. Mm-hmm. But uh, but I, I think it's shape or difficulty would land somewhere between what we consider a next gen and a fat man. But yeah, I've oh. never seen one in person and there's, like I said, better people we could ask or we could dive in. Uh, that way I'm not just making up stuff, but that's the best of my knowledge and going off my memory. Um, aside from blob collecting, bell collecting, um, sketching, and you wrote down that you like to sketch uh, grip designs and grip implements. Yeah. Can you explain yeah. some of that? I've seen some of your drawings you did with uh, like Frankenstein cleaning the inch bell. And I think there was another one I'm, I'm leaving out, but. I've always liked sketching and drawing that was kind of like the thing i did when i was a kid um i ended up 
really diving deep into drawing and painting and all that art stuff when I was in college. Um, I even did tattooing for a while. I was going to say, you, if anybody hasn't really seen, like you got a long sleeve shirt on right now, but you're essentially, I mean, your, your whole body is pretty much tattooed. Yeah. Um, a good, a good portion. Three quarter sleeve on this one. I plan on extending it, but once this sleeve's finished, I'll have a full long sleeve shirt. I, I'm, I have a lot of tattoos. Yeah. Yeah. But um, yeah, the drawing's always been a thing. And usually when I, I have something I really enjoy, like doing, like when I was big into hiking, I'd love to draw mountains and landscapes and stuff. Now I'm really big into grip and I think it'd be pretty cool to draw t-shirt designs or poster designs, anything like that. Something, when I got some free time, something I can draw up and just enjoy to do. And that's when I did the, the, uh, the crusher rolling out of a hand. It's all yeah. okay. stuff. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Frankenstein is clean, and then the octopus arm, or the the kraken, yeah. coming around the Saxon bar, release the Saxon. I thought that was pretty neat. That's funny. Yeah, no, I think that that's a, uh, I think that's a cool idea, and I think the fact that the artwork is coming from somebody that lifts those things and kind of lives that lifestyle also just kind of adds a authenticity to it. That you you know you know what I mean. It's one thing if like. Uh, some random artist is out there and they're painting something they know nothing about. They just have good painting skills or good art skills, but they don't yeah. live it. When that person that like really lives that, you know, the lifting, the training and all that stuff. And it's really a big part of kind of who they are, what they enjoy doing. And they can kind of translate that into art. I think that adds a, I don't know. It just adds a different factor to it, to me. That yeah. it, it holds more meaning. That's uh, and Joe. Hodson is the one that got me uh, into that. Um, I saw all of his uh, awesome drawings. I'm still waiting on my t-shirt, Joe, of that grippy skinny. So, yeah, he, he draws a lot of really good stuff, really cool stuff. Uh, I like to even put posters of his stuff on my gym walls. He's got a good talent, and he inspired me to get into it. So, so maybe we can get like you and Joe to team up as like a grip. Uh, grip poster company or something and start designing some posters and banners for people um i don't know like i don't want to force you guys to do something or put pressure on but uh, yeah you both you both have very good uh artistic ability and yeah. seeing that kind of put into the the things we're training and lifting you know make it real relatable and pretty cool um in mm -hmm. my opinion um so kind of moving on we've been uh, going at it for a decent amount of time do you have uh any kind of topic that you think maybe we skimmed over, maybe something you just thought of while we were talking, um, anything that comes to mind? Hmm. No, I'm right off the top of my head. I, I don't think so. Okay. Man. So you feel like covered most everything that you wanted to discuss and all that. How long's the podcast been going right now? I, I don't uh, have about like an hour and a half roughly. So yeah. we're, we're on pace with about what I did with Joe and I feel good. I, I feel, you know, pretty good about the subjects. And like I said, every interview is going to be a little different. It might be one, <laughs> might be two hours, but I'm not, I'm not too concerned when, uh, when I get someone like this, that's done the things you've done and achieved what you've achieved so far and the stuff we have to look forward in the future from you. I, I, I don't want to cut you down to 20 minutes. And, you know, I, I feel like it's a disservice to the, the people, you know what I mean? Like if I get you or if I get Carl talking, I, 
I don't want to give you guys some generic questions for 15 minutes and then cut you off. And then, you know, it's like, man, yeah, I really want you to have the floor, discuss what you want to discuss, be open. And, uh, you know, that way when the people actually hear, it might be a little bit long. Okay. Listen to it in different segments, 30 minutes today, 30 minutes tomorrow. You know what I mean? Like, okay. Or if you're on a really long car drive, people can listen to it then. So I, I don't, I don't stress about these things going too long. I want to really keep them under two hours, but I don't want to try to limit anybody's ability to talk about subjects. If we're rolling and have important things to say and the people want to hear from you, um, I'm not going to be censoring you or cutting you down or, Hey man, I got it free, free to free to uh, run and say what you want. So um, with, uh, with covering everything we've covered and feeling like most of that's been good to go. Um, I did do like a questions for me type section. Yes. Um, do you remember any of your questions for me or do you want me to kind of go off of the outline and let's do that. Um, I, I cannot remember anything. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So Ben wrote down on the outline, why do I train grip and why do I want the sport to grow? So Um, I touched on this in a previous episode a little bit with Joe, but I I think there's such a deep connection to grip strength or just humans using their hands in general, where I talked about like, you know, that's, I mean, that's how we basically are like building things, constructing things. You talk about art. That's literally how you're creating your art. You know what I mean? And, And that's not, maybe art's not a strength related thing, but what I'm saying is like, our hands are almost the most useful tools we have brain. You got to have the brain, but you get what I'm saying. But our hands are kind of what takes that message from the brain and creates. So our hands are the thing that creates. That's what we build stuff with. That's what we lift stuff with. You know what I mean? That's a big part of us. uh, It's just our hands. So um, when you get so many different ways to train that, I just think there's such a deep connection to hand strength that has to do with our species of being humans in general. Like, why are you in a house right now? Because somebody built it with their hands. You know what I mean? So like, yeah. I, I think that that is a, there's just a connection to grip strength, um, having that usefulness back in the day, you know, now we're a little more modern people get to kind of like, hang out on computers. Like I'm talking to you on a computer now, you know what I mean? So like, we have to like almost come up with things to challenge our grip strength. Like we got to go in our garage and like lift these bells, but like other people were like, I don't know, carrying railroad ties and shit like that. You know what I mean? They, they didn't have a choice. Brick Masons, stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. Brick Masons, you know, jobs, jobs like that blacksmiths, you know? So in an era where a lot of uh, your life and providing for your family and everything kind of relied on, I guess, just being a strong man or having good hand strength or, you know, being able to work with your hands was just a thing. So I think it's something that kind of demands respect. And uh, that's part of the reason I train it. And it's part of the reason I'm, I guess, obsessed with training grip is that kind of tie to old school lineage and just being human. And like I said, there's just so many different ways to test it. And our hands are about the most useful thing we have um, aside from the brain kind of being the driving machine behind that. Um, Why do I want the sport to grow? Um, Man, uh, 
I want the sport to grow because it's very similar to like, and, and this is not me trying to be funny or joke about anything. Um, but it's, it's kind of like if you have a grappling tournament and you'll see people that go to grappling tournaments, sometimes this is a thing. It has happened to people. It's never happened to me, but this is something that has happened to people where they sign up, they pay the registration fee, they go to the grappling tournament and they are the only person in their weight class and there's no one to grapple. So by default, they basically get first place. <laughs> and it's yeah. like, there's nobody else on the podium. So how much does that win mean? So with grit being a smaller kind of underground sport in general, um, well, just, just to break it down, why do I want the sport to grow? Well, um, I just competed back in March at the Arnold for uh, Armlifting USA. And don't get me wrong, um, I cut down to the 90 kilo class, so 198 pounds, and every lifter in the class was strong as hell and tough, but there was only four of us. You know what I'm saying? So I, don't get me wrong, quality is like through the roof. We're all invited, we all qualify, we're strong, yeah. but there's still such a small number of us how much more would that third place medal mean if I wasn't in a group of four? Well, you, know, you, 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 you experience that at heavy hands. What's that? Your weight class for heavy hands, man. If I cut, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, the 93 kilo class for uh, the heavy hands comp that me and Ben are hosting is uh, seems to be pretty stacked. There's about seven or eight guys in that class. And that goes to my point where that's why I'd like the sport to grow because I would like for people to show up and, and you, you get it with remote competitions. But like I said, we're not lifting in the same area. Like King Kong is amazing because the turnout, but people are lifting different handles. It's multi-venue, different judges. What I would like to see the sport grow into is when, when we have a local or regional competition or even a nationals, we get, you know, seven or eight, maybe even 10 people per weight class. That way it just adds more credibility or it just adds, it just, it'll just drive the sport in a better direction because there'll be more competition, more strong people, more, just, just more bodies. And I think Joe spoke about that when I talked to him, I asked him if, you know, like if he wanted to run an Australian nationals, what would, uh, what would it take? You know, do you just need more quality lifters? And Joe basically said, I don't really care about quality. I would prefer to have quantity because mm -hmm. even if it's five beginners, if they're all close and they're all pushing themselves, that's, that's fun. That's that competitive environment. That's going to build the sport. That's, you know, I'd rather have 10 beginners all going neck and neck than have like two veterans that just pretty much know where they're already at and they're going to lift and they both get first and second place because they're the only two that show up. So yeah, uh, that's why I would like to see the sport grow, man. I would just like to see a little bit more depth in the weight classes because don't get me wrong. When you get to the top of any of these weight classes, nobody's, nobody's weak. Nobody's a slouch. Everybody's a monster. And there's no disputing that. I would just like to see bigger turnouts that way. You know, you don't have to turn back around and be like, Oh, well I got second place. How many people were there? Three. You know what I mean? It's it just, like I said, and then you can try to like 
no, but you don't get it. Like the guy that was in third place is this strong. It's like, no one cares. Like there's three people you got second. It just doesn't seem like it's a, yeah, as legit or as big of a thing. But if you say that like, Hey man, I took, I took second place out of 25 people. It's like, Holy shit. Like, you know, you must be pretty good. <laughs> you know, even if 24, of the 23 of the lifters were garbage. I, I'm just saying, I think that, uh, bigger turnouts is better for the sport in general. And I think it would drive and promote more competition. I think that it would also promote newer guys getting into the sport. And, uh, I think that's everybody's goal in general. Um, it's part of the reason we want to host. I mean, we want to host competition because we're like, we feel passionate about this stuff. We want to do it, but man. Yeah. I've got uh, three or four people. They're not signing up online. They're going to show up with money, but I got three or four people. I grew up with, um, they're really good, supportive friends. Okay. They're so I'm, you know, this heavy hands might be their introduction to grip. And I think that's phenomenal. If, if I can, if both of us can yeah. get more people into grip through hosting events, then more hosting events we need to be doing that. Cause that's, yeah, that's great. And I think that's, what's, good for other people that are looking to host is like yeah you you might be um we've all had our own gateway like you said it was a meeting somebody that um got you to you know you met dylan to you get you to go to an arm lifting competition that was your gateway well heavy hands could be the gateway for the next the next ben helms or whoever to pop up um and down the line so i think that as a promoter the more that we get people promoting and running good solid events um that's where we're going to get growth. Um, if people don't know about it or it's not available, then how do you expect them to compete? You know, so yeah. it, we have to kind of take accountability for that. So we'll be, uh, we'll be, uh, kind of hosting that now. Um, let me just moving on to the questions. Um, why do you like coaching MMA and grip? And that's been asking me this question. Um, uh, I, I don't want to like regurgitate something I've already said before, but basically because you're never done with either one you never you never master the art of fighting to where you can just stop and say you know it all you can never just say i've lifted every single thing in grip that could ever be lifted i'm done there's there's like you said you might have that lifetime goal once you meet it well okay i guess i gotta up the lifetime goal um it's it's that same concept it's the same thing you said all lifts are lifelong lifts that's that's why um that's why i like coaching in those disciplines and it's just lifelong so as long as i'm alive as long as i'm able to do it and enjoying it um that's the plan so that would kind of to keep that one brief um and then what unthinkable grip feats would you like to see someone achieve in your lifetime we can both answer this one i'll ask you first what unthinkable grip feat would you like to see, or do you think will happen in your slash our lifetime? So I think it's going to happen pretty soon. The okay. interview with Carl the other day, he didn't want to talk about what possible feats he'd be doing with dumbbells, but I think he's either going to try to. I might, know, I'm, I might know one of them, but I don't want to speak on it, but keep going. I think he's either going to try to transfer the Millennium Bell or he's going to try to clean the Millennium Bell. Okay. That's what I think he's going to try to do. That is what I've always 
been wanting to see now. So since I started grabbing, I'm like, oh man, you know, no one's cleaned the Millennium Dumbbell. I want to see that happen. <laughs> that would like, be pretty, uh... goals that we've talked about. I want to be able to continental clean a Millennium Dumbbell, which I think could be doable one day. Yeah, kind of just ride it up your body. Yeah, at my body weight, I'd probably never be able to clean a Millennium Dumbbell. Yeah, I have much heavier. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, uh, for for me, what do I think? Um, man, I because uh, we're saying like unthinkable grip feeds. Some of these aren't unthinkable because like there's been rumors of them happening, but they haven't been caught on film. Um, one that has been rumored to have happened that I've never seen actual proof. And someone could listen to this and say, oh, bullshit, I saw so-and-so do it at XYZ back in 2020 or 2010. Okay, I'm just saying, back to our same thing earlier, proof. <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? Documentation that it happened, more than just a, some guy saying it. Because um, we can't open the floodgates for that to happen. But one of the rumored feats that um, I've heard of, but I've never seen footage of that I think is doable and that I think might happen is uh, someone snatching the inch dumbbell. So inch dumbbell, snatch. Yeah. And I think that is one that it's, it's rumored that like maybe Mark Henry snatched the inch dumbbell. Okay, but all we saw was a clean and press video. So that's what I'm going by. You know what I mean? So well, yeah, I, could def I definitely agree with that because I've been seeing uh, like Carl, I've seen Carl doing high pulls like up to his face with the Thomason's dumbbell yeah. and thinking drops down just a little bit. He's snatching things. So. <laughs> yeah. We'll have to you see, man, if, uh, if, if I get, uh, if it, it, well, I don't say if I say when, cause I, I have emailed a little bit with Carl. I'm hoping to get him on at some point. I'm not sure when that'll be. I know he just did grip sport Latino. So I don't want to like, uh, interview him just after he did that you know i i want to kind of give a gap and the way we i interview and do stuff's a little different so um mm -hmm. i'm gonna give him some time but maybe when i get carl on here someday um i'll kind of dive into maybe if he's got some of those unthinkable things or maybe he's pulled a couple off by the time i interview him and we can talk about it um yeah but i think uh somebody may be snatching the inch dumbbell because i've heard of it but i've never seen it i think that would be something um something that would pretty much be pretty unthinkable. Cause I mean, you see the guys that are struggling to clean it, uh, you know what I mean? It's like to snatch it and just that shoulder stability and under and balance, like, man, I, I think that snatching the inch dumbbell would be pretty honestly just insane. Um, I think to be honest too, it, it, it takes away form in my opinion, because it's a dumbbell snatch with the soda can size handle. I feel like form and technique, um, I think being strong would matter most for that lift. Cause you Just know, but, yeah, cause you see these guys cleaning dumbbells or the Thomason's dumbbell level and they just throw it up to their shoulder like that. Yeah. They have people smaller like me who find a technique for it. You can't do that with a snatch. It's gotta be, you know, yeah. Left, hold, you can't tilt lift into a snatch or anything like There's that. There's a lot of horsepower behind that. Whole lot of horsepower. So I think a snatch is only attainable to the big boys. You know, like <laughs> world's strongest men type stuff. You know. Yeah. 
because they can just muscle that thing up there. For sure. Um, and then, uh, like I said, these are questions you had for me, but I, I just want to ask both of us, um, you know, where do you see grip sport or arm lifting in the next 20 years? And that's a, I mean, we're talking 2043. You're yeah. 28, you would be 48 years old. I don't know. Where, where do you see the sport when you're 48? Think about it like that, right? To be honest, I think you're, and I hate saying it, but I think 20 years from now, it'll probably be a different organization. I, I don't I think. See I, I could see that. I mean, yeah. I, I mean, uh, things, I, th things change. I mean, I've, yeah. uh, I mean I, I, I've trained in like MMA gyms and stuff where like, when I was younger, you're training and you just think that like, man, this is life forever. Like this gym's always going to be here. And then it's mm -hmm. like, boom, this coach moved to California. He's now working here. He's doing that. The gym basically implodes and you're like, oh, yeah. I, thought, I thought this was going to be forever. You know what I mean? So the, the gyms can come and go. So the same thing with an organization or the same thing with, uh, you know, when you start talking a 20 year gap, uh, a lot can change. And maybe wow. even if, uh, current organizations don't like i don't want to say like fall under or change or new ones might pop up I, mm -hmm. I don't know you know what i mean like who's to say a new one doesn't pop up or who's to say that maybe the current organizations change their format um 20 years is a long time and a lot can happen so uh and i, I, think, I, get, what, I get what you're saying yeah i think the norm will change too uh, the, you know athletes regardless of sport are always getting stronger somehow there's always something new uh like before crossfit uh the unthinkable was a sub five minute mile and a 500 pound squat like that's if you can do that combo you're a scary human being and now you have pretty much your average crossfitter professional crossfitter can do a sub five minute mile and a 500 pound squat so that's what was unthinkable is now the norm and I'm thinking, you know, 20 years from now, we're definitely, definitely going to be seeing people in the 93 kg class doing a 500 pound axle or something crazy like that. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, for sure. Oh yeah. Because all sports eventually take off. They just have to have their, I guess their era, their time, like grips still kind of, you know, not big like all the other, you know, sports you think of like MMA or even Olympic weightlifting and all that stuff. But yeah, I think, and I mean, you just think like NFL, MLB, NBA. I mean, just common sports that schools have. Like, you know what I mean? Kids grow up doing these sports. They look up to those athletes. They continue to go to college to play those sports. Nobody's like in sixth grade saying like, you know what? I really want to pinch plates together. <laughs> like, you, you, know, you know what I mean? It's both. I know for a fact when I get older, you know, like when my son is in, I guess, middle school, around middle school, I want to get in touch with Parks and Recreation and start up a grip league. I think that'd be amazing to have grip as a Parks and Rec sport. I think that'd be awesome. But, you know, low injury risk, um, healthier hands, a healthier lifestyle. I mean, it's, I just like the idea. I think that'd be cool. So. I think grip will take off down the road, you know, the more exposure it gets. So. Yeah, no, I, uh, I definitely agree. I think it's almost impossible. It would be hard for me to predict where it would be two years from now. 
Yeah. You know, so, so when you say 20 years, man, um, I would be in my fifties. Oh God. Um, but, uh, (laughs) yeah, I, man, I don't even know. Um, but I, I would, I think that, yeah, the, the athletes will evolve because like I said, when I first started, even just in this short two years, I've been competing. When I went back in the database or looked at these leaderboards, just how much they've changed in the two years I've been involved in the sport mm-hmm. has been pretty insane. Like there are certain like world records that now aren't even in the top 10. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. So you start getting stronger guys coming around. You start getting guys that figure out the technique. It starts getting exposed to bigger, higher level athletes that are already coming in with a bigger strength base. That isn't just a guy that's lifting for fun in his garage. And maybe it's like a, you know, former, strongman or somebody you know like world strongest men you, know, you get like some of these world strongest men competitors you get these like professional strongmen coming over you maybe get some like ex nfl athlete you get what i'm saying like once you start getting the like human specimens to maybe venture over a little bit yeah. man it, it might just take world records and just bump them out of top 10 top 20 lifts i mean we've already seen it in the last couple of years like um for the for i mean it depends on how much it's contested but, but like a, a quick example was the two-hand flask the two-hand mm-hmm. flask in competition now not what people did at their house but like in competition i think uh i think cody burns had the record for the two-hand flask and it was like 220 pounds oh wow and then when jed hosted uh and like i said there was guys that had lifted more than that for maybe a leaderboard page or for you know the flask leader page whatever but i'm saying like in a gsi comp that technically was i believe the top lift and then uh since then it's been contested numerous times and jed held it at like worldwide grip battle um skillet hands held it and i think currently nick sanders holds the record at like 270 something but you know you had a lift that was at 220 and then it got contested like two to three times in the last year Mm -hmm. and that top lift is just like decimated you know what i mean so you start talking 20 years I don't think there will be that big of a change because, you know, there's always going to be kind of a, a ceiling where, you know, it's, it's not going to, you know, like there's certain things that guys are doing now that are going to stand the test of time. Like, uh, like Tanner Merkel or Tim Butler lifting close to 260 pounds on a little bighorn. I'm sorry, but that is going to stand the test of time for a minute. That's yeah. not just going to get bumped out of the top 10 in a couple years. You know what I mean? So certain lifts like that are going to be around um andrew's axle uh being that way like whatever top lifts are recorded on the night i think those are going to get smashed with more exposure to that bar absolutely yeah yeah and my question is i wonder because i think andrew derniat lifted uh 396 pounds on it 97 i think okay well just under 400 yeah I, I believe well we can look it up but whatever um uh but yeah I'm, I'm interested to see if anybody can when we host that at heavy hands i'm interested to see if anybody can crack that 400 mark and if yeah. they don't crack that 400 mark then like you said if that becomes a more contested implement how long till someone does reach that but yeah. having someone like andrew derny kind of lay the foundation and show that a 390 plus lift is possible or 400 pounds is obtainable it paves that way for the next guy to come through and try to do it. But right now, 
essentially, you know, no one's, it hasn't been contested. And if it was contested, I don't think anybody would have lifted that. So we'll maybe see the next few years, how that goes, but, but yeah, man, um, that's pretty much it for most of the questions. So if you don't have any other, uh, extras bonus stuff off of that, um, we can kind of wrap things up. Um, if, uh, I know you're not active on YouTube, but you are active on Instagram. So if you wanted just to, uh, I guess just put out there, uh, maybe your Instagram or where people can find your, your lifts or maybe get in contact with you about lifts if they were interested in grip, because like I said, as somebody that's, I mean, just like we talked about, uh, past veterans for us kind of paving the way in the sport you're paving the way now for the next generation doing these inch cleans and stuff and hosting competitions so um how do people get in touch with you and see what you're up to what you're lifting and things like that is it mostly instagram or um most i'm planning on getting into youtube um just because you know the podcast going on i've been watching you know jed's podcast on there that's really most of the time i'm on youtube recently has just been jed's podcast so the more podcasts are coming around i'm going to be on youtube a lot longer a lot more i'm probably going to post videos on there too so okay yeah so i'll probably be on there but for instagram it's i can't remember my username because i never look at it you want me to help you out Den Bugless or something like that. It's Den Bugless. It's like yeah. the reverse of the whatever. Yeah. My first name and my middle name. So it's Ben Douglas, but I flop the first letters in each. So it's Den Bugless. Den Bugless. Um, yep. Okay. So yeah, if you guys want to check out some of Ben's uh, insane training, um, some of his big grip feats and stuff like that, or reach out to him about competing in a future competition, maybe competition advice. Um, Ben's pretty much been an open book, super cool to me. And uh, we discuss training stuff all the time. So if you want, reach out to him on Instagram um, at Den Bugless. And uh, yeah, like I said, check out his lifts and like to thank everybody for listening. Thank everybody for watching and see you next time. So thanks, thanks for being on the show, Ben. Thanks. Appreciate it. Yeah, no problem, man. Yeah.